This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nick Turn and Duncan Trussell. The function of the guru is showing us that we are beyond pure and impure, that it's all sacred, that whatever we're doing, whatever we're thinking, whatever we're saying is an expression of the divine. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Today I would like to talk about devotion to truth slash the guru. In the Bible, Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Ramana Maharshi says, God, guru, and self are one. The inner guru is the self, the self with a capital S, in the innermost heart and pulls the devotee's heart back into its source. When we think we are the body, we then often think that the guru has a body. The outer guru pushes the mind to turn inward, and the inner guru pulls back towards the source. This is guru's grace. Meditation is meant to remove the ignorant idea that the guru is only outside. The guru abides steadily in the self with a capital S. Find your guru by intense meditation. The whole universe is the form of the guru. See the guru in all beings. The guru does not bring about self-realization. He only removes obstacles to it. You are not the body, nor is the guru. You are the self, and so is the guru. This knowledge is gained by what you call self-realization. I've avoided talking about the guru for 
all of the 94 previous meetings that we've had together here, or however many it is. Because in my experience, when I talk about me having a guru, there are three common reactions. One is, I'm jealous. You got to be with Maharaji and I didn't. The second response is, he's talking about his guru. How gauche is that? That guy's from Marin. I know he is. And then the third possible reaction is that, hey, let's talk about that. What really is the guru? But there, there is so much of those first two that it's, it's kind of tricky to talk about the guru. Today, I really want to talk about my personal relationship with Maharaji, but contextualize that in a larger discussion about the guru being everything, that everybody has a guru, that the guru is not in physical form, although guru in physical form can be a technique that some of us uh, have, have come to in life, that somehow God has decided to show up in a particular form, and that there's absolutely no reason to feel that your spiritual life is any less if you haven't traveled to the far reaches of the planet and found some miraculous being up in the Himalayas or in a cave or even in San Francisco or something like that. The goal of spiritual practice is non-dual self-realization, seeing that the mind has as its nature wholeness, that the nature of the mind is the self. One often thinks of this, this path of self-realization, particularly towards the end, is about the mind. It's seeing who we are, what is the nature of reality. But at the same time, devotion is incredibly important, even at this final stage of the path. Devotion to truth, devotion to awareness, that one could even say that even on the path of the mind, devotion is the secret sauce. When we're talking about devotion to the truth, I'm talking about truth both with a small T and with a capital T. Devotion to the truth in the sense of mindfulness, that we have devotion to the fact that right now something is going on. I'm talking, you're listening. I'm pausing. All these things are going on. And that we have some devotion to, if I'm really present in this human way, if I can bring myself into this present moment, and have some open-hearted relationship with it, then there is a movement into wellness, a movement into wholeness. But beyond that, there's devotion to truth with a capital T. There's devotion to the guru in that sense, that we really begin to understand that it is all the guru, that uh, one person said the guru is all of your impurities as well as all of the good stuff. I was reading a book by my friend, Annie Lamott this week, and she quoted a guy named David James Duncan, who said, God is the worst nickname ever. Now, I thought that was one of the funniest lines I'd ever heard. A lot of people don't think it's very funny. I'm, it's kind of a test here. Who's laughing? I'm looking around the room. But when we're talking about God or guru or self, it's such a small unimposing word compared to what the self is, compared to what the guru is, that God is a nickname for reality. God is a nickname for everything. We can use the 
notion of the guru as a technique, you probably heard Ramdas stories where he's talking to Maharaji, or I remember once he told the story that he was driving in his old antique car and he was driving so slowly that he got pulled over by a police officer and Ramdas saw the police officer as Maharaji. And he probably, so he started talking to the police officer as God and the police officer was so taken with all this, they had a nice chat and Ramdas never got a ticket. I think it's it's also possible to have that kind of relationship with, with reality that it's all the guru. So different levels of relationship with the guru. In my own particular case, I was a graduate student at Stanford. I met Ramdas. We became drinking buddies when I was a college student. I was really into yoga and pranayama and meditation, trying to go beyond my neurotic structures that were coming out of being born in 1942 and growing up in the 50s and having this very straight-laced childhood. When I went to India and I first met Maharaji, the feeling was a, a great sense of inadequacy. He's this great being. I'm this inadequate being. Isn't it amazing that he even brought me here and he's paying attention to me? There was a great sense of inequality that I was nothing, he was everything. And that in the intervening years, it's been clear both in my own experience and watching other people that people relate to the notion of God or guru at the level of their, their psychological integration, that if I still need a mommy or a daddy, or an, I, I need to complete that work, I'm going to be relating to the guru as the perfect father, the perfect mother, and be trying to work through my psychological stuff. And then I can grow up a bit and I uh, become a teenager and maybe I'm rebellious. I don't need no guru. And I run around thinking I don't need anything at all. But then finally, is it possible to begin to relate to the guru from the standpoint of there's this loving relationship where we're equal, not in the sense that I'm, I've done all the same practices, but that when I know I'm me, I'm the guru. There's a great line by Hanuman where he says to Ram, when I don't know who I am, I love you. When I know who I am, I am you. So when I don't know who I am, I love the guru as something outside. When I know who I am, I'm the guru. And then beyond me being the guru, it's all the guru. You're the guru. All the people I meet are the guru. Donald Trump is the guru, which is a bit of a stretch, but there it is. Maharaji said, the guru is not external. It is not necessary to meet your guru on the physical plane. Somebody then asked him, how do I know if a person is my guru? He said, do you feel that he or she can fulfill you in every way spiritually? Do you feel he or she can free you from all desires and attachments? Do you feel he can lead you to find liberation? So here we're talking about meeting a physical person using this relationship as a technique. But as our practice deepens, we then begin to change the relationship. We begin to remember this poem by Hafiz where he says, in the eyes of your beloved, everything you ever do, think, or say will always, always be beautiful. 
So that the function of the guru is showing us that we are beyond pure and impure, that it's all sacred, that whatever we're doing, whatever we're thinking, whatever we're saying is an expression of the divine. It's hard to believe that when we look at our families, when we look in the mirror, when we look around sometimes. Here's a part of a song by a 12th century Tibetan teacher. Oh, mind that is my guru, I meet you by recognizing what I am. I pray to you by letting go of doubt and hesitation. I revere you by letting go and settling naturally. I serve you by resting continuously in how things are. I provide you with food by resting without strain and empty clarity. I provide you with drink by knowing attention and distraction make no difference. I clothe you by knowing appearance and sound as enchantments. The path of the guru is a tricky one because it, it's so easy to think that the guru is outside. Maybe it's because I was a scientist or whatever, but I didn't have as much of an outer relationship with Maharaji as a lot of other people. Some people, when Maharaji died, got very depressed. And I always felt that my relationship with him was more this a level of consciousness that I loved being around him, the play, the, the beauty, the humor, the the poignancy of the whole thing was incredible. And I could tell all kinds of guru stories. But when he died, it, it didn't feel like anything left. My relationship has taken several steps. In the beginning, I was inadequate. I needed this outer support. I would talk to Maharaji. I would dream about him. I would think about him. I had his pictures all over the place. And after about 10 or 15 years, he disappeared. He abandoned me, I thought. I thought I've been a bad devotee. I haven't been meditating enough. I haven't been saying enough mantras. What have I done? And I felt like this for about a year. And then I had this realization that what he was saying was, you've got what you need. It's time for you to fly with your own wings. You don't need me to be holding your hand. Just go and be Ramdev. Go and go and be who you are. And uh, I, I missed having that, that outer method, that outer crutch, if you will, that, that connection in my mind. But I needed that independence. I needed to let go of holding on in that way. And then just in the last few months, he, it has come back in a very different way. It's not like Maharaji in the picture, but there's a presence that's always, there's a softness. There's a, a sense of blessing or grace that's always like a, a sweet fog or atmosphere that is just permeating my life. And I feel very grateful for that. Maybe that will disappear too, and it will all dissolve into spaciousness. Here's a quote from my beloved teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche. He says, the very notion that we will get something from the guru is one of the most difficult preconceptions to break through. Rather, the student must give something in return for the teaching. Some kind of psychological surrender is necessary. A gift of some sort it is essential to surrender, to open yourself, to present whatever you are to the guru, rather than trying to present yourself as a worthwhile student. 
Your guru is the one with whom you can communicate directly and thoroughly. To think, I'm going to find somebody and he's going to fix me. <laughs> That's the big mistake. You're fixed already. And the guru is the reflection of that wholeness, that fixedness that is already there. Ramdas's book about Maharaji is called Miracle of Love. Maharaji was able to do all kinds of miracles. He could seemingly be in two places at the same time. He could know the past and the future. But those were tricks a lot of people could do. If, if you're not identified with who you are, be here now, then a time is just an illusion, as, as quantum mechanics will tell you. But the great miracle was that love that was always there. Where there is faith, there is the guru. Maharaji said, everyone is your guru. In the Bible, it says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. If you want this kind of blessing, it's here. It's not something that you need have to travel far for. And the path of the guru is not one that anybody can fail at. Because the point of the guru is showing you that moment to moment, you are loved, you are perfect the way you are, that it's not about self-improvement. It's about surrendering into the beauty and the wholeness of life in a finite body. I know there are people in this room today who are very sick. There are people in this room who are grieving. There are people in this room who are confused. And even that is the perfect place for each of us to be in this moment so that the self or enlightenment, once again, is not something we get or create. It's a surrender into what is always and already here. Later on during the guided meditation, we'll do a guru yoga meditation where uh, I will ask you to visualize a guru. And if you're somebody who's not theistic, if you're a Buddhist or if you're an agnostic, if you're an atheist, I would say that just the fact that you're in this room suggests that you're devoted to something. You're devoted to the spirit of truth with a capital T. And that that spirit of truth can be imagined as this being of pure consciousness. There are so many religions out there. There are so many false gurus out there that it's very easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater and feel here are these people, they're saying my guru is the right guru and your guru is the wrong guru, or look at your guru, he's doing these things with women or he's, she's doing these things or power or money or sex. That's the way of the world. Can we keep coming back to the true guru? For me, that has been my main path. I needed to do a lot of yoga and meditation in the beginning to calm my mind down enough to not be so completely neurotic. The, the superego, the inner critic, is often very tied up in how we're relating to the guru. In the beginning, I'm inadequate, I need you to help me, or look at I've got a better guru than you have. There's a lot of judgment involved. Can we use meditation skillfully enough, psychotherapy skill, skillfully enough, that we're not getting lost in all these judgments? Ramdas's final movie was called Becoming Nobody. And the guru is nobody. It's becoming empty of self. 
with a small S and becoming self with a capital S. I remember once we were with Maharaji in a place called Brindavan and he had us take a break. We ate lunch or something. We were across the courtyard from him. Then somebody said, oh, you can come and be with Maharaji again. And we went kind of running across the courtyard to be with him. And I was somehow I was the head of the pack. I got into the room before anybody else did. I ran right up to him and he looked at me and there was absolutely nobody there. There was usually there was somebody there who was loving and kind, like the perfect grandfather. And in this particular moment, there was absolutely nobody there. It was kind of frightening, to be honest with you, that I thought, where's Maharaji, this guy that is my guru? And, uh, and it was clear that he wasn't a person. He, he wasn't separate. There's even what's called the large form of the guru, where you begin to see God is everything. That, that soft fog of sweetness that I was talking about before is maybe the beginning of that. Can, can one begin to see the guru in the whole world, to see God in the whole world, not as something separate. So that's why that line, God is the worst nickname ever, I think is such a great line, because God is such a, a vast, remarkable entity or being or everything that just having one three-letter word to represent it, just it, it diminishes it in a certain way in the mind. Where there is faith, there is the presence of the guru. How can we generate enough faith that even this, even this talk on a Saturday morning, afternoon, wherever you are, is the presence of the guru? That in each moment, that relationship is possible. All it takes is surrender. In each moment, the deepest love, the deepest connection, the deepest blessing is always there. And no matter what your relationship with guru is in terms of a particular being, a particular god or goddess, or just something that's much more impersonal or even formless, the blessing is always available. I will admit that the guru is hard for me to talk about because it's such an intimate thing. It's like talking about my love life. And I'm trying to do it in a way that's not too embarrassing for me and for you. A lot of my relationship with Maharaji is in bed, actually. It's like when I'm not busy, I'm lying in bed at night or I'm waking up in the middle of the night or I'm waking up in the morning and I'm barely there at all. That's when we're most lovers. Most of the time it's Hanuman and service and being busy and helping people and talking to people to really talk about how intimate it is. And the intimacy isn't with the guy in the picture. That's, that's the one thing that I really want to make clear. The intimacy is with my deepest self and my, my intimacy with your deepest self. Let me slow down here for a few minutes and open this up to discussion before we have a meditation. Anybody want to say anything about all of this? Hello. Good morning. Yeah. Nice to see you and everyone else listening. <clears throat> I think it's wonderful you're talking about the guru now. I know Krishna Das talks a lot more about the guru now. He said that he never used to, now he does. And I've noticed that there's in you, Adele, and in Krishna Das and other devotees from that time, as your wisdom years are getting older and older, as we all are, you're talking about him. And we're receiving, I'm receiving all those blessings because you are talking about him specifically. Yeah. And 
we're on our path now. So thank you so much for that courage to do that. I understand why you wouldn't want to do that. I'm, I'm a therapist. And when I talk about God, it kind of scares people if they're clients, you know, but, um, so that's really deep in my heart. The other thing is you, you talk about Trumpa Rinpoche is one of your teachers as well. And I know a little bit about him and I know Ram Das uh, is a Naropa year or summer with him. I've meditated with some people that meditated with him. I know people that were devotees, not devotees, but students of his, like my dentist uh, in Woodstock. Um, <clears throat> but I want, you, I want you to tell me what you think Maharaji and Trumpa would say to each other. We know what Ram Das and Trumpa said to each other in those talks. But what do you think Maharaji would want to say to Trumpa? Based, you know both of them. What would that conversation be like? Another one of my teachers is Suzuki Roshi. He was my first meditation teacher. And when Trungpa first met Suzuki Roshi, he said, you're the first sane person I've met in America. <laughs> Which was what Trungpa said to him. What Maharaji would say to Trungpa, I have no idea. I was thinking you you were going to go with that story that Trungpa was a bad boy. He drank, he fornicated, he did this no, that, and that. Both Maharaji and Trungpa were manifestations of something called crazy wisdom, where it seemed like they were willing to do anything at all, no matter how crazy it would seem, if it would help you become free. You have to remember that Trungpa was doing this stuff back in the 60s and 70s, when a lot of spiritual quote unquote people were running around with white clothes and spiritual names and acting really holy, if not phony holy. And I think what he was trying to show people was there's no one way to be holy. And what he said to his students was, take care of your body, get a lot of sleep, eat good food, meditate a lot, and do whatever you want. Where a lot of other teachers were saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And people were feeling all guilty and self-conscious because they wanted to do those things and occasionally did. And once again, Maharaji never said, don't smoke dope. He said, if you do smoke dope, here's what it does to your body and your mind. But if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. It seemed that both of them were kind of practitioners of this thing called crazy wisdom, where their only motivation for action was helping people awaken. Now, I know there's some people that don't necessarily agree with that in terms of Trungpa. I'm not trying to sell him. I thought he was quite a remarkable guy. He was... He had such a wonderful mind. I mean, he said, why do they call it rush hour when people can't go anywhere because the traffic is locked up? At that summer at Naropa, there was like a thousand people. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night was Trungpa, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday was Ramdas. And it was like sparring warriors or like with these two big classes. I noticed this one thing about Trungpa where uh, somebody would ask a question and the more brilliant the question the dumber the answer he gave. And the, the dumber the question, the more brilliant the answer. Somebody would ask this like really dumb, totally naive question, like they'd never read a book in their lives. And he would give this most brilliant answer to that question. Wow. And I remember one time he was he gave a talk at Naropa one, one evening. The talk was so brilliant that when I left the, the hall and to go outside 
the trees were glowing with consciousness. Each leaf was glowing with consciousness. But when he got up from giving the talk, he had this big carafe that looked like water, but it was sake. He was drinking sake during the whole talk. When he got up, he fell over on his face. So he was so drunk that he couldn't walk. And yet he gave this completely brilliant talk. And in fact, there was this paper making its round, making the rounds of the inner circle, if you will, of his students. I got a hold of this paper where he talked about unconscious drinking, not unconscious drinking, unconscious drinking. And he said that if you can stay conscious, if you can maintain awareness as you're getting high with alcohol, you won't be drunk in the same way. So my girlfriend and I got a big bottle of sake. We put it down between us. We started meditating and every 10 minutes we take a big slug of it. And at the end of about an hour of meditating, the bottle of sake was gone and it felt like I was on a psychedelic. My ego structure was completely dissolved. I was completely present. And when I got up to pee, my body was inebriated. One can maintain connection with the guru even during that if you're paying attention in the right way. I have no idea what Ramdas would, I mean, what, what Trungpa would say to, uh, what Maharaji would say to Trungpa. But I think they would they would respect each other. I think that, I mean, even say Rajneesh or Osho or whatever, he kept changing his name. I can't remember the final version of his name, but the guy with 49 Rolls Royces. Maybe some of you have seen this wonderful documentary called Wild, Wild Country about him coming to a small town in Oregon and the whole fuss that happened and somebody was murdered and all the complication with the local politics. But he put together in India and then in America, the combination of traditional Dharma, free sex and pop psychology that drew tens of not hundreds of thousands of people to the Dharma. One could say that People got hurt, but people got hurt coming to Ramdas. People got hurt by taking psychedelic. Rajneesh brought so many people to the Dharma. At the same time, it would be very easy to judge him. Interesting question. We could go on with that forever, of course. Let me just tell one story that's coming to my mind about Maharaji right now. I think it's so appropriate because it's something we can be doing in the moment. It's easy to think that we, when we were there with him as kind of a formal scene. There was a, a teaching. He was giving a talk. Everybody's paying attention. It was not like that at all. It was totally informal. People were lying around in heaps, rubbing his feet, eating food, laughing. One time we were with Maharaji. He was on a, something called the tukka, the low wooden platform. And I happened to be in this uh, place where I could be holding onto his foot. So I was rubbing his foot. And in Hinduism, they feel that the foot is the channel of grace, that if you honor the guru's foot or you touch his foot, a blessing is coming out of the foot. So I'm rubbing his foot. Basically, I was just saying my mantra, the mantra that he gave me. I was saying this mantra, rubbing his foot. And after a few minutes of this, I started feeling, look at me, I've got Maharaji's foot. And as soon as I felt that, he started pulling his foot away. So I went back to saying the mantra and just resting in openness, resting in love, rubbing his foot. And then after another five minutes or so, that thought came up, look at me or me, you know, I'm doing this. And as soon as I started having that thought, he started pulling his foot away. And once again, I jumped right back into saying the mantra. And it happened a third time that as soon as I started becoming egocentric about what I was doing, 
he didn't want me touching his foot. But as long as I was just there with God, he would allow me to hold the foot. And again and again, there were situations where we'd spend all day with him, but part of the day he'd be with other people or we'd be eating or he'd be eating or something. We'd be off in a room or the back end of the ashram or something. And he'd send a messenger and, and say, Maharaji's unhappy because you were talking and thinking too much. Or Maharaj is really happy because everybody's chanting God's name right now. And it was just really clear that when we were in this open-hearted place, or at least most of us, that he was approving of that. And we're running around being all in our heads and talking about it all, that he was feeling that sense in us of not being connected. Uh, he said that the Westerners were only good for fivefold yoga, which was sleeping, drinking, teeing, eating, moving about, and gossiping. And that was all we were good for, which probably is pretty accurate when it comes right down to it. Okay, another question or remark. I understand the guru is a tricky thing to talk about in the West. I'm not trying to sell Maharaji. I feel infinitely grateful that I met him. And at the same time, Joseph Goldstein, the wonderful Vipassana teacher, said that Maharaji must have been a very great teacher because he had all the most difficult students. And the fact that I had to drag my butt all the way over there and get both malaria and hepatitis only indicated how much I needed the, the intensive course and that there are a lot of people that have had very close relationships with him that didn't go to India or with other gurus. In fact, there's a wonderful book called Love Everybody by my friend Parvati Marcus that talks about a lot of the stories that the Westerners recounted about coming to and meeting Maharaji. And I think the striking thing about that book is that almost everybody says that when I met Maharaji, the first time in my life, I felt that I was at home. Can we feel we're at home now. Today, this morning, this afternoon, here we are. Are we waiting for something to happen to be able to feel at home? Is there some wisdom, some understanding, something you've got to figure out before you can feel at home? Or is there that surrender that's available right now? And then what it seemed like to me was that Maharaji kept relating to the place in me and in all my friends that was whole. I remember one day Ramdas was having a very hard day. He, Maharaji really played him. He told everybody, Ramdas is your commander in chief. You should do whatever Ramdas says. And Ramdas said, don't go to the temple too early in the day. Let other people be there. We'll, we'll go later. But then a lot of people figured out they could go early and, Maharaji would pay attention to them. So they stopped paying attention to Ramdas. Ramdas are getting really uptight to the point that he actually threw a plate of food at somebody right in front of Maharaji. And he came over to Maharaji and said, Maharaji, I feel so impure. And Maharaji looked up his sleeve of his shirt and said, I don't see any impurity. And no matter how horny or neurotic or scared or inadequate I would feel, or anybody would feel, he kept seeing the place in me or the person next to me that was pure. Can we do that right now? Can we see in each other that place of wholeness? Can we see that in ourselves? 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. And yet when Maharaji died, the people in the hills and the people down in the plains started arguing over who would get his body. Is it going to be cremated up in the hill ashram at Kenshi or down on the plains at Brindavan? So that how, do you, how can we expect the Republicans and the Democrats to get along if Maharaji Satsang can't get along, right? How can we expect the Russians and the Ukrainians to get along if different kinds of Christians can't get along together or followers of Maharaji can't get along together? So that that does seem to be the human condition. <laughs> it's an ongoing work in progress for better and for worse. Hey, Ramdev. Oh, it's just so wonderful to listen to you. What a joy. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, there's so much truth and so many things you said and and I feel um, from my own journey, I would say what I've come to realize is that this fixation that my own mind had, you know, for so long, finding the right guru and the one, you know, just the, the belief that there is one guru, I think is already it's kind of illusionary. So... I feel much more now that that everything is really my guru, you know, and there's a peace, there's so much peace in that, that I suddenly realize I can listen to you and you're my guru right now. I can look over to my beloved and she is my guru right now. And and so, and, and all my clients are my gurus and everybody's my guru. And that, there's just so much joy in that when we, when I can expand into that and, and I can still have that, Sadhguru experience that I have, but I don't need to get fixated on that in any ways. And I feel like that's your message also, you know. That's yeah. so thank you. Upaguru versus Sadhguru, that the Upaguru is your guru in the moment. Everything's your guru. The Sadhguru is, is appearing in all these other forms. To me, the, the tricky part of this whole discussion is people wanting a Sadhguru, people thinking. Ramdev met Maharaji. I didn't. What does that mean about me? How can I find that person? And my deepest feeling is that you don't find the guru, the guru finds you. And in some lives, it's a particular person that shows up and you put that picture on your altar. And in other lives, it's not a particular person. It's the formless one that's showing up in everybody. And both are completely okay. I've met so many Buddhist teachers, both Vipassana teachers, Zen teachers, 
Tibetan Vajrayana teachers who are enlightened beings who have incredible devotion to the Dharma. And in Tibetan practice, people have devotion to the lineage. So that there's your teacher and your teacher's teacher and your teacher's teacher's teacher, that there's a devotion to this flow of truth that's that's come down through the ages. Whether we're talking about guru in a devotional Christian Hindu sense or this more Buddhist kind of the spirit of truth, truth with a capital E, truth with a small with a capital T. <laughs> Good to know how to spell truth, a capital T or a small T. How much devotion? do we have to the self, to that which is beyond understanding? And there is this tension in life between surrender into the guru and the ego's clinging to separateness and to wanting to have a fixed point from which to experience life, right? So that it's back and forth between, in this moment, do I trust this radical total surrender and is the ego saying, hey, wait a minute, that's a little too scary right now. I, I need something to hold on to. I need a life preserver in the stormy ocean of life. And it's back and forth, back and forth, hopefully, gradually trusting this sense of surrender and letting go and falling through the vast sky of mind. Fran, do you want to say anything about your relationship with Ramana? Thank you, Ramdev. I, I think it was wonderful. It's really, uh, you know, I was thinking this would be great to get the audio on this because this is where most of us have difficulty. In, and just to kind of my own experience, I studied all these different teachers, especially Ramana and Nisargadatta. And Ramana is who I spend most of my time with. But I hold this ultimate devotion to Jesus Christ, and I can't explain it. And I know you have that understanding. I think you you expressed that. And I don't want to get into that. But it, interestingly enough, you know, Ramana had Arunachala was his guru. It was a holy mountain in Tiruvannamali. So it's almost like he didn't. And people would always say, are you my guru? He wouldn't talk about guru. And then finally, he said to someone, you know, he said, would you get him a, a piece of paper from the administrative office? saying that I'm your guru. You know, he didn't even say that, but he just said, would you get hit? Would you want me to give you a piece of paper? But I I, I do think that this is a very, very important subject, uh, Ramdev, and I'm not going to say a lot, but I would say Ramana and Nisargadatta taught me what Jesus was really saying. But because I had the Jesus in my soul from such a young age, I'm going into the, you know, that's where, that's what I'm always going to have. And I, and I would ask you a question when you get to that point where, you know, like you just said, there are no, there's only one, like the gentleman just said. So that's the beauty of it. The Sat Guru is the consciousness itself, correct? Yes. It's the, it's the awareness that the pure consciousness, and that's what we are that, as Nisargadatta's great book, I Am That. Well, Carl Jung said that to reach full integration of your personality structure, that eventually you have to go back to the religion of your childhood and really make peace with that. I grew up as a Christian. I went I went to college and I ran away from the church as fast and as far as I could. And I met Maharaji and he gave me a Christian mantra as my guru mantra. I remember we were with Maharaji and somebody had their journal and 
Krishnas and I have two separate recollections of how this story goes. But in this person's journal was a picture of Buddha. And Maharaji says, who is that? And the person says, that's Buddha. And Maharaji says, no, that's Maharaji. Or maybe it was, there was a picture of Maharaji and Maharaji says, who's that? And the person said, that's you. He says, no, that's the Buddha. I don't know which, it doesn't really make any difference. But the point is that he was saying that Hanuman and Maharaji and Christ and all these beings are the same. That it, it's not about the it's not about the package it comes in. It's about total surrender into the self. And once again, two guys got a Nobel Prize for quantum entanglement in physics a few weeks ago. And underlying quantum entanglement is monism, which means there's one. There's the universe, one song. There's only one thing. It's the universe. At a certain level of reality, there's not separateness. There's just one. It's not that we're connected. We're one. That's the message of the guru. That's what the self is, that it's one. And Maharaji, if there's one quote that he kept saying again and again and again, it was subek, all one, all one. That was his answer to a lot of questions. Subek, S-U-B, the word E-K, subek, all one. Once again, these are theoretical notions, but even just to have a sense of that occasionally is so comforting, is so inspiring that it's safe. In fact, that's the only safety is to surrender into this wisdom that it's all one. We have separate bodies. We have separate personalities. Bodies die. And admittedly, we're not denying human suffering and tragedy and cancer and divorce and uh, war and COVID and politics and all that stuff is happening. But we live in a society that's fixated on that dimension of reality which is not the fundamental level of experience. And when you take a strong psychedelic or when you're really in touch with the guru temporarily or something, we see that there's this play going on and it's, it's curious, it's interesting, but it's not fundamental. Uh, it's a function of consciousness, that consciousness creates form. And we could get into the double slit experiment and how whether you're watching light or not depends that determines whether light is a particle or it's a wave, whether it's form or it's not form and all that kind of stuff. And as a scientist, I find this all infinitely fascinating, but fundamentally we're saying that it's all the guru. It's all, it's all this one thing. Guru means that which takes you from darkness to light. And darkness is the ignorance of thinking we're separate, that there's something to do here. As I said, I think I've done like 95 podcasters, 93 or something at this point. And almost all of them are how we can do things to feel better, right? And some of them are about non-duality, but the guru is just saying, there's nothing to do better. This is it. I mean, right in this moment, we can surrender into the messiness of our human existence, and this too is wholeness. In Dzogchen practice, the most advanced Tibetan meditation of non-dual practice, the slogan is no meditation, no distraction. There's nobody to meditate. Nothing is a distraction. So it's completely relaxing. As soon as you think, I'm not doing it right, even the thought, I'm not doing it right, is it. 
And even the fact for judging yourself for not doing it right is that wherever you wake up, that's it. It can't be not it. It can't be not the guru. So we can just relax and, and swim in that ocean of bliss like I was feeling when I was holding Maharaji's foot. And again and again, he would show us that we can talk about complicated things. We can try to understand things. But in each moment, there is an infinite ocean of love and bliss that's available. And all it takes is this faith. What do you have faith in? We have faith in the guru. What's the guru? Is it Christ? Is it Maharaji? Is it self? Is it oneness? Whatever you want to call that. It, it, names are what's confusing the whole thing here. But if we're not living in that openness, we're, may, we're misunderstanding. We're not standing under the fundamental truth that there's nothing to be done. And this teacher, Wei Wu Wei, said, what you are looking for is who is looking. That we are the self. And we can't not be the self. <laughs> and there's nothing we can do to be more of the self. So one of the things that I got out of being in India, other than malaria and hepatitis and being with Maharaji, was a, an understanding of Christ. That every, every Sunday when we were there, Ramdas would read the Gospel of St. John. And every Tuesday we'd read the chapter of the Ramayana called Sundarakan, the beautiful chapter of the story about Hanuman. When we were talking about Christianity, it became clear that there's this, this confusion between Jesus and Christ. Jesus was a man. He had a mother. He had a life. He had certain kinds of experiences. And there's Christ. And when Christ says, no man, no man can come to the Father but by me, that's not Jesus talking. That's Christ talking. You can't come to God but by the self. If, if you're a fundamentalist, fundamentalist Buddhist or Christian or Hindu or Muslim or Jew or whatever kind of fundamentalism, a fundamentalist atheist, and you say, if you don't do it my way with my name of the thing, you're not doing it the right way, then you're really going to be stuck. That's why the Bible is such a confusing document and people are mistaking the voice of Christ for the voice of Jesus, then that feeling that if you don't do it Jesus's way, you're going to be lost. What kind of God would that be? The beloved can only be everything. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.